you rather have an eternity of resurrection life than a few more months or a few more years of this life? Isn't this what our hearts are longing for? Don't, don't, we, don't we yearn for, for, for all that, that we are promised here at Easter? I'm not just making this stuff up. It's here in the scriptures for us. Happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. So this Easter has got me thinking. I, I try to reflect on the Easter story. I try to reflect on the Easter message and our resurrection hope. And this year, it took me back to the makeover sh- reality shows that were a part of the early 2000s. Uh, maybe some of you are familiar with these. It started off with Extreme Makeover. Uh, it went to Addicted to Beauty, I Want a Famous Face, Bridal Plasty. But just about everyone agrees that the worst of these was uh, a, a show called The Swan. It was based on uh, the Hans Christian Andersen story of the ugly duckling. And every week they would have two contestants who would share their own struggles with their appearance. And it documented a three-month transformation that they would go go through and then showed them having been uh, transformed. And then the two of them would face off to compete in a beauty pageant that came at the end of the series. Now, Lori Arias was one of the most vocal to speak out about her experience. Uh, in her late 20s, she had, of her own uh, accord and determination, lost 150 pounds. But she was always dissatisfied with the extra skin that was left over after having lost so much weight. And so she hoped that by going on the swan, she might be able to get uh, a free uh, stomach surgery and get a little uh, tuck that uh, would help her with her own sense of, uh, of her appearance. Well, a little uh, procedure was not what the doctors recommended. They, in fact, recommended that she get over $300,000 worth of plastic surgery. Uh, She ended up having a tummy tuck, a butt lift, inner thigh lift, dual face lift, an upper lip lift, an upper and lower eye lift, endoscopic brow lift, breast augmentation and breast lift, and rhinoplasty, which I had to look up, I thought it had something to do with becoming, looking like a rhinoceros. It actually has to do with shaping your nose. So she had all of these procedures, an incredible investment in uh, her looks and appearance. And yet years later, when she was interviewed about her experience, she talked about the negative reactions and the toll that it took on her mental health. Uh, she, she said that following the show, in the years following the show, she gained more than 100 pounds. Uh, she developed uh, depression. She was then diagnosed as being bipolar. She now suffers from agoraphobia and uh, body dysmorphia. She's afraid to leave her home except to visit her, her therapist. Huge uh, toll that uh, a, a show had on her life and the hope that it offered, and what uh, we might say is a false hope. 
Now, thankfully, reality shows like that were killed by the backlash that they deserve. But the same hope is offered in other forms today. Uh, the same message is communicated to us in uh, different ways in our world today. But each of them shows our longing to be made new. We want, we want something different than, than what we have. We want what Easter promises. We want the hope of resurrection, of transformation. We want uh, what Easter promises, and yet these uh, counterfeit offers of uh, counterfeit hope are, are, are held out to us, and they, were, they promise something that they don't satisfy. And so today I'd like to look at how the resurrection of hope, resurrection of Easter, uh, the, the resurrection hope that we proclaim takes these longings that we all have to be made new and satisfies them in a way that our world can only counterfeit. Now, to do that, I want to encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, in the Black Church Bible, under the seat in front of you, it's on page 904. And um, we're going to be looking at, at, at uh, different parts of this entire chapter, but we're going to focus in particular on verses 42 to 49. And so if you have that open in front of you, it's going to be much more easy for you to understand uh, that what we're talking about here is God's word, not my word. Uh, and uh, we'll just encourage you to have that in front of you. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll read from verses 42 down to verse 49. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man, of, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, so also so shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is the word of God. And now before we look at the details of this passage, I want to back up and show you the context of this passage and where I believe it intersects with our own, with our own context as well. Here we're starting with how your faith in Jesus might actually be pointless. You may be an Easter lover, but still not not be trusting in an Easter hope. You could actually be in love with the, with the tradition of Easter, but still looking for your hope in an extreme makeover, in the hope, the counterfeit hope that the, that the world holds out to us day by day, week by week, all around us. So let's consider why your faith in Jesus might be pointless. It was actually Paul's fear that the Corinthians hope might be pointless that led him to write this letter. 
He tells us as much in verses 1 and 2. There he says he's reminding them of the gospel. He's telling them uh, about things that they have heard already, and he's going he's to explain it and blow it up in more detail. And he does that for fear and it, that he says there that they have believed in vain. Have you ever thought of faith like that? That someone could believe they, they could hold certain truths about Jesus from the scriptures, but that their, their faith would be in vain. It wouldn't do anything for them. It wouldn't help them. It wouldn't change them. Could it, could it be that your faith, while real and sincere, could also be not helpful, not changing you? It could actually be in vain. Now, here, here we have just this, this picture of, the, the, first, the reality and how we can miss that reality. We can get faith just, a, just enough wrong that it doesn't impact us or change us. Any of you run the dishwasher and forget to put the detergent in? You ever do that? Like, it makes all the same sounds. The, the dishes get wet, and then they get dry again, and you take them out. They're just... They're just not very clean. Without the detergent, it was kind of a vain exercise. And the warning here is that our faith can be very much like that. That it can have all of the outward trappings of something that's real, but be missing enough that is crucial that it doesn't really affect us, change us, or transform us. Now, Paul confronts the crux of this issue in verse 12. Take a look with me, if you would. It says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Now, here he's addressing a slightly different issue than we face in our world today. Uh, this letter was written in A.D. 53, maybe A.D. 54, uh, just 20 years after the events of the resurrection. And so... Everybody in the church, or just about everybody, believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. They were still at a time when, when most of the people in the church had actually talked to someone who, who was a witness of uh, the resurrection or had spoken with a witness of the resurrection. They were close enough to the, to the details that they believed in those things. But get this. Having believed in the Jesus, that Jesus was resurrected, their struggle was that they would also enjoy a resurrection. They had gotten so caught up in life in the here and now that they didn't think that there was anything more to come. And you and I feel uh, that same pull in our world today where we can live as if What's to come really doesn't matter. I'm not sure what's going to go on. Or, or maybe we assume it. Maybe we discount it. Maybe we just ignore it. But we kind of are looking for our salvation in the here and now. We're looking for an extreme makeover, not a resurrection. We're looking for something today, not for what God has promised us for tomorrow. Paul's saying here that, that if you reject that there's a resurrection for believers, then you might as well reject that Christ was raised as well. And if you do that, then you might as well toss out your faith because it's really not very meaningful. It's like running the dishes without the detergent. And so that, that's really the, the struggle that they were, they were facing. 
That's his point in verse 17 when he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your, sin, in your sins. Just while we're, while we're here, pause for a moment to recognize the fact that he could make a statement like that some 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was a statement that could be that could be verified. You could go back still and talk to individuals. You could confirm things. It would be like me standing up in front of you and saying, if there's not a library at the corner of Young and Major McKenzie, then I don't know anything about Richmond Hill. And like, you could go there and someone would put up their hand and say, well, of course, there, there is a library there or, or there isn't. And, and, and you would discount me or you would confirm me. Here, in a very similar way, in making a statement like this to say, hey, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, our faith is meaningless. If, if that claim could be disproved, if it could be uh, uh, refuted at, at, in any way, then the message would just stop in its tracks. Christianity wouldn't have made it out of the first century. And, and so we have this evidence for uh, for what, what has taken place. And, and despite all of that, today you'll probably, if you go through enough channels, you'll be able to find uh, some television program about Easter. You'll find some scholar going on and on about how it was a legend that developed centuries later. And, and, and he'll sound very confident and intellectual in doing so. But the fact is, there just wasn't time enough for a legend to have developed. Here, early 50s, proclaiming, if Christ hasn't raised, let's pack it in, folks. There's nothing for us to, uh, to, to be following, nothing for us to be uh, concerned about. So here the message is, if you believe in Jesus but deny his resurrection, your faith is pointless. But consider the other half of the equation. If you do believe in Jesus, you believe in his resurrection but you don't really believe in your own resurrection. You don't believe that Jesus will one day rise, raise our bodies from the grave. Uh, what, what about that, that part of the equation? Here, Jesus' resurrection is given to us as God's proof that he will do what he's promised to do, that he will raise us from the dead. And, and many Christians live as if this isn't true. They will live an Easterless Christianity where their focus is on what can I get from God here and now without any regard for the hope that is to fuel and motivate all of our lives. That their hope is entirely focused on this life and this world. And it's easy for you and I to think like that. There are different ways that we can do this. We can obsess over our body and live as if your hope is an extreme makeover. Uh, you can obsess over your health and, and, and believe that your hope is not getting sick, staying as well as you possibly can. You can obsess over your reputation and live as if your hope is people's acceptance. Uh, you can obsess over uh, social media and live as if your hope is getting people to notice you. There are these different ways that we can live as if Easter never happened. We can, we can celebrate, Jesus rose from the grave. He's risen. You all said it. And yet, live as if 
we don't have that hope. Live as if Jesus' death wasn't given to us to prove something and to convince us of something. And so uh, we're, we're, we're called, uh, as Paul called the Corinthians, we're called to examine our lives today and say, am I living with an Easter hope? Am I living an Easterless Christianity? Am I living in a way that my faith is in vain? It doesn't really help me. It doesn't really do anything for me. So we've started by saying uh, why, why your faith in Jesus might be pointless, and that's just laying out the context of this passage. Let's look into verses 42 and 49, and here we're, here we're looking at the, at the issue of why anti-aging cream is a bad investment. Here we're, we're, we're just getting into the nuts and bolts of this. Uh, and here the message is, if you try to satisfy your desire to be made new with the th- stuff of this world, you will end in frustration and pain. That, that we, are, we are making capital investments in a lost cause that it is just a bad investment to, uh, to be investing in anti-aging cream. So let, let's, let's try and go through this p- passage and, and try and understand what Paul is trying to say. First thing I want you to notice is you'll see that he's talking a lot about sowing in this passage. And here the, the message is about agriculture, not cross-stitch. He's talking about seeds and, uh, and, and what people in an agrarian society would have been very familiar with. So uh, here, watch what he spells out in verses 36 to 37. He's comparing this body that we have now here to a seed. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. Now, have any of you, um, you, you go over to someone's house, maybe a friend invites you over for dinner. Have you ever gone over to someone's house and they showed you their collection of seeds? Anybody? No, nobody does that, right? That would be, that would be weird. Like, nobody shows you your, their collection of seeds because seeds are kind of, they're kind of dumb. They're, they're boring to look at. Uh, seeds have no value uh, in, in the present. It is, it is, they're completely future-oriented. You take seeds and you put them in the ground, and it is only after they have died that they turn into something. It is only then that they are, are they're worthy of displaying. We call it a centerpiece. You put some flowers out. Maybe you'll do that today. But nobody displays the seeds. Nobody gets excited about their collection of seeds. And, and the same is true of the human body. Our, our, our bodies are not the kind of things that you want to be making $300,000 investments in. They're, they're just, they're, they're not that kind of thing. So starting in verse 42, Paul's going to make a series of statements about our body to help us to understand what it is and why the extreme makeover or the swan is not the solution that we're looking for. And so let's just go through some of those statements. He he starts, first of all, in verse 42 by saying, what is sown is perishable. He's saying what maybe some of you experienced this morning, that this body is slowly breaking down and decaying. You, 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 
you can't help but feel year by year the aging process. You don't see as well as you did last year. The joints aren't quite, have got quite as much spring in them as they once did. You feel that sense that, boy, every time, every month at laugh, I'll have one person that says, that'll come to me and they'll say, you know, Paul, getting old is for the birds. It just, it's tough. I don't like it. You know, the, the reality is that we are, 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 are breaking down and decaying. And that's why anti-aging cream is a bad investment because aging is, inve- is inevitable. We can only mask and cover up the reality that is uh, beneath the surface. Now, to say that it is perishable is, is to say that it is breaking down, but it is, it's more than just how you physically feel. Our capacities are decreasing. Our limitations are increasing. We're like a box of peaches. They're nice, but they're going to get they're, they're going to get bruised. They're going to get worn. They're going to uh, decompose. You're not going to keep them forever. Now, from there, he goes beyond that in verse 42, 43 by saying, "It is sown in dishonor." Here, he's talking about the fact that our bodies are corrupted by sin. Your desires are warped and broken. With God's help, you can grow in righteousness. Just as uh, with, with some work in the gym, you can build a muscle. But you can't root out that basic uh, nature that, that, that fights against your desires for righteousness. You can't eliminate the sin. You can't get rid of it finally or completely. And so our body in this life is beyond repair. You can go on the show and make the $300,000 investment in how you look, but you can't clean up an ugly heart. You can't change those, those desires that war against us. And, and so uh, that message that we are sown in dishonor speaks to that. Then later in the same verse, it says, it is sown in weakness. And that includes all of our physical limitations, but it it speaks to our spiritual and moral weaknesses as well. There, there is no surgery that you can get to become the father that you were supposed to be. There, there's no cream that you can get to be a, a better husband or wife. There, there are no pills that are, are currently available that are going to make you more faithful, more devoted, more committed, have more integrity. That's just not on the market. That is not a a fact of our reality. And so when we look at our bodies, we are recognizing that they are bodies that are, 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 are weak. They are come with limitations and disabilities. We need to be reminded of that because we live in a world that both ignores resurrection but tries to grab hold of the desires that we have for resurrection and they offer us something in exchange. They, they promise a, a means of satisfying that. Uh, and, and that world tries to make a competition of who's got the shiniest seeds. They will sell you products to polish your seeds, to, to, to display your seeds. But they're just seeds. This is making uh, capital investments in something that has an expiry date. Something that will not last. 
We post photos to try and prove that we're, we're winning the game of life, but in doing so, all we're doing is masking or covering uh, the, uh, the, the weaknesses, the imperfections, the corruption, and uh, the limitations that we have in this body. So an investment in anti-aging cream, it's a bad idea. It, it, is, uh, it, it is not, not uh, uh, looking at the reality of, of who we are and what we've been given. Then in verse 43, it says, it is sown a natural body. Here, it's speaking of the fact that our bodies are designed for life in this world. They are, they are not designed for eternity. They're not built for what comes next. They have an expiry date. And, and it's a recognition of, again, the limitations of this body. No matter how hard you train, no matter how you desire to, to, to refine, to perfect, to dress up, you will always have in this life a natural body. And it is not designed for eternity. It is not, uh, it, it, it's, it's not what we ultimately need. Then in verse 49, it says, we have borne the image of the man of dust. Again, those bodies that we spend so much energy comparing, perfecting, lamenting, those bodies are eventually going to end up as dryerland, dust and ashes. And to, to, to not recognize that, to not acknowledge that, to live as if this, this tiny little moment in time is all that there is, and to ignore the realities of eternity it is to completely miss the point, to, to fail to understand what this life is. And yet, we live in a world where people will spend tens of thousands and maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars on plastic surgery. We live in a world where billionaires will invest incredible sums of money to reverse aging, to eliminate the reality of death. And the scripture says that kind of investment is sunk money. That, that is, it is not helping anyone and it is not coming to terms with reality. An investment in anti-aging cream is just a bad idea. So if anti-aging cream isn't the answer, let's talk about what the Easter resurrection really promises. What, what is held out as the hope to our longings and how Jesus' resurrection is so much better than wrinkle removers, and firm apps. So what, what is the Easter resurrection? What does it really promise? Now, do you remember when we start off and we, we talked about the seed? And, and we said the, the seed is you know, not really much to look at. It, it isn't much in itself. It's completely future-oriented. Now look at verse 36. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. We talk about death in this world as if it is something that is, that is cruel and terrible and awful. But the verse here says, no, no, remember what seeds are. Remember how seeds function. Seeds go down into the ground, and it is only once they die that their life begins. 
This isn't, this isn't some cruel end. Look at them in the soil. It, it, is, it is pointing us instead to, to the wonder. Remember what comes after their being placed in the soil. That is when life and vitality come. That is when the, the flowers spring up and the harvest can, can be seen. Just as Paul then gave a series of phrases to describe what the seed is and how, uh, how limited and broken and, and natural and weak it is, now he's going to speak of what is raised, what comes up after the seed is then uh, placed in the soil. So in verse 42, he says, what is raised is imperishable. Here, imperishable is speaking of more than just not dying. If perishable describes something that is decaying and decomposing and rotting and in this state of going down, then imperishable describes the opposite of that. It describes something with fullness of life and vitality. It's describing something that is growing in capacity, growing in its ability to thrive and to enter the fullness of life as intended. I imagine some of you are old enough to remember the first time you saw HDTV or high-def television. Maybe the first time that you saw a 3D movie. It was like the experience you had before, but it was so much more vivid. It felt like it was coming alive. It felt like it was what we'd experience, but just more powerful, more, more immersive, more exciting, more of that. And here, when we're reminded, yeah, what, what you've experienced in this life is perishable, what God has promised us in the life to come is imperishable. It is fullness of life. It is vivid. It is, uh, it is so much more. And then in verse 43, it says that our bodies are sown in dishonor, but will be raised in glory. That word glory is, uh, has its, its root the sense of, of something weighty. We'll be people of substance. We'll be people uh, uh, worthy of honor. We'll be people, if you were to see your resurrection self right now, you would stand back in a sense of wonder and awe. Your eyes would open because you would sense that you were in the presence of someone powerful and important and worthy and filled with glory. He's saying that's what... That's what the hope of resurrection is. That's what our hearts are longing for when we want, we want makeover. We want to be fixed up. We want to be more beautiful, more honorable, more powerful. This is what the resurrection promises us. Then he says, what was sown in weakness later in the verse is raised in power. This is speaking more than just how much we're going to be able to bench press in heaven. This is speaking the power of all of our capacities. All of your senses will be on, on overdrive. Maybe we will be given new senses to, to enjoy and to experience the life to come. The power here is talking about the reverse of all of the limitations that you felt in this life. 
Nothing will hold you back from being the person that God has created you to be, to being, to, to living out the righteousness that you were created to reflect. Nothing will stop you, nothing will hinder you from being who God has called you and I to be. We will experience power. Finally, we will be able to do things that matter. We will be able to help help in such a way that it really makes a difference. Our sin won't get in the way. We won't be the worst enemy of ourselves, creating the obstacles to our effectiveness. We'll be powerful in all of the right ways. Then in verse 44, he says that we will be raised to spiritual body. And many people misunderstand this part. They think that we're going to be these bodiless spirits that will just wander around and float on clouds in, in eternity. And, and in doing so, they're, they're, they're seeing the spiritual part but missing the body part. We, our bodies will be uh, spiritual, yes, but they will be bodies. We will have a resurrected body. Uh, we, will, we will be more than physical but not less. Because it is a spiritual body, we will have increased capacity for spiritual fellowship, spiritual service, spiritual worship, spiritual insight. Our, our bodies will be fine-tuned for life in the spirit. And finally, we will be driven and motivated, motivated perfectly and completely by the spirit and not by the flesh. Our lives will be guided for God's glory. And our sinful nature will no longer pull us or drive us. Finally, it says in, in verse 49, that we will finally and fully resemble Jesus, not Adam. Hear what the words say. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's speaking of character. It's speaking of holiness. But it's speaking of Jesus' resurrection as well. Remember what Jesus was like after his resurrection. He, he, could, uh, he, he could sit and share a meal with his disciples, but he didn't have to. He could enjoy the taste of food without feeling the hunger for it. He could, he could uh, appear in, in a room, and yet uh, the, the doors could be locked, and Jesus could... could uh, appear in their midst, and yet they could touch him and they could feel him. He could sit and enjoy a breakfast on the beach with the disciples, as he did at the end of John's gospel, and yet that same Jesus could be raised up before them at seemingly unlimited, unbound by uh, the, 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 the laws of this earth. We'll be like him. We will experience that life that we were created to have. Wouldn't you rather have all of that than a nose job? Like, when you begin to think of all that we have been promised because of the resurrection, if you believe these things, you, you begin to see the false promises and the false hope of this world in a totally, totally different way. Wouldn't you rather have an eternity of resurrection life than a few more months or a few more years of this life? 
isn't this what our hearts are longing for? Don't, don't, we, don't we yearn for, for, for all that, that we are promised here at Easter? I'm not just making this stuff up. It's here in the scriptures for us. These are truths that are given for us to lay hold of and to believe and to enjoy. Now, Joni Erickson Tata has been a paraplegic since the age of 17. Many of you will know her name from some of her writings. But some of you may have misunderstood Joni Erickson Tata's hope. She could have given in to despair about her condition, but she embraced the hope of Easter. Hear what she says. She says, don't assume that all I ever do is dream about springing out of this wheelchair, jumping up, dancing, kicking, doing aerobics. No, I am looking forward to heaven because of a new heart, a heart free of sin, sorrow, and selfishness. That beats having a new body any day. She gets it. It's not like she's going to forget you know, the, the, the physical dimension, the physical hope that's offered, but it's way more than that. It's way bigger than that. And to just focus on the physical is to miss the incredible hope that we're offered. And it's to believe the, the, the message that our world keeps trying to sell us as a, an Easter counterfeit. Jesus died and rose from the grave. And he did that to prove that there's a resurrection for all who trust in him. He, he did that to hold out to us hope and to invite us in. And maybe you've always agreed with Jesus. Maybe you've always agreed with Easter. But maybe you've never really believed in him. Maybe you've never really believed in the hope of Easter. Maybe you've agreed with Jesus, but your hope has really been kind of in the extreme makeover offer that our world holds out. Maybe you've believed in him for real. Maybe your faith is not in vain in that sense of having just missed him completely. But maybe your faith hasn't been helping you. Maybe you believe in the resurrection, but you're always obsessing over your body. Maybe you believe in the resurrection, but you're always obsessing over this life. Obsessing over the, the, this health this duration, this problem, and never laying hold of the hope that is held out for us with the promise of Easter. Don't get me wrong, taking care of your body is a good thing. The Bible says that, that training, physical training is of some value. It's going to the gym is a good thing. But it's so far short of the only thing. It, it, in the same verse where it says that, that physical training is of some value, it reminds us godliness is so much more. You can make investments in your eternal life, investments that count for eternity. And, and so to obsess over the here and now, what is in front of you, what is the seed that you're carrying and trying all, with all of your might to polish that and ignore what is to come is to miss the hope of Easter. It's to ignore the resurrection hope. Now, I read of a woman who was diagnosed with a terminal illness and 
uh, as often is the case, she called her pastor. She wanted to talk about the funeral. She, she explained to him, I'd like these hymns sung. I'd like these scriptures read. But then she made a really unusual request. She said, when I die, I'd like to be, I'd, I'd like to have a fork in my hand in the casket. And he's like, I, I, get the, I get the hymns, I get the verses. This is a really strange request. This is really weird. What's going on? Why, why, why do you want to be buried with a fork in your right hand? And she said, I've been, I've been attending you know, church events and, and potlucks and socials for, for many, many years now. And I always know that as you're getting towards the end of the meal, somebody will always lean over and remind me, don't, don't, don't forget to hold on to your fork. Because dessert's coming. And she said, I always, whenever somebody tells me to, 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 to hold on to my fork, I always get excited because my favorite part of the meal is on its way. She said, when people file past my casket at my funeral and they see me holding the fork... She said, Pastor, I want you to tell them that I'm holding the fork because I know that the best is yet to come. I, I know that what we are enjoying in this life, it don't feel sorry for me. I'm getting what I've been looking forward to. That is resurrection hope. That's the hope that is hold, held out to you and to me. A hope where we believe, yeah, the, the things in this life matter. We're not discounting them. We're not living with our eyes in the clouds, but we are living in light of eternity, in light of the incredible hope that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and he rose again. And because of that, we can have new life, new life in light of eternity, new hope. We have a down payment through the Holy Spirit that gives us a taste of that in this life. But the best is yet to come. Hold on to your fork. We have an incredible hope that is laid out before us. Let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, we, we're too small for these things. We, we, we are unworthy of these incredible promises of Scripture. The wonder of Easter. How are we... How are the, we the recipients of this kind of grace? Keep us, Father, from ignoring the resurrection hope and believing the world's counterfeit lies. Oh, Father, I pray that if anyone here this morning hasn't laid hold of this incredible hope, draw them to Jesus. Draw them to the Savior Draw them to the one who gave his life to make this hope possible. Oh, Father, help us to live in light of this incredible resurrection glory. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.